Well, it's so good to be in the house of God this morning. It really is. Um, it's, it's so good being in Alto. It really is. Uh, we felt so welcome. Um, the Grindles are just, you know, they're just amazing people. And it's always amazing to look out, just, you know, find people that you're, you have that shared faith and spirit. And it, it's been such an honor to connect with them. And a lot, with, a lot of people here, we connected over the weekend um, at the marriage retreat. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun when you're with the people of God. And, uh, and you know what? It's really good to feel the presence of God in this place. Because, you know, preaching without feeling the Holy Ghost is rough. <laughs> and I feel the help here. And uh, I'm excited. God laid a, uh, I believe that God really gave me a word, a word from God to give to you today. Been filling it for about a week and a half as I've been praying about preaching today. And I, I know that God's given me something. And I pray that it edifies you and it lifts you up. I'm a preacher. So I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach. Because um, I'm a counselor, so I know what we as human beings deal with. And I want to not only just give you um, principles, but I want to give you uh, tools. How do we do this thing when we, when we say do this? To give you something practical so that we can have that victory every single day and, and what to do. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 5. I'm going to read two chapters. Just joking. <laughs> Don't you love it when pastors and preachers do that? They just keep reading. You're like, okay, where are we? My memory is good, but I'm not going to remember that whole passage. Matthew chapter 5. Fortunately, technology is probably very it's slower than my typical sword drill. Just one passage. And this is a very well-known passage. You probably turn to it and be like, oh yeah, we've already done this before. But hopefully I can show, maybe open the Bible up and, and maybe show it from a different side, a different light. And that's my prayer today. So, the Bible says, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. You may be seated. So, just so you know, I'm from Sacramento, California, which is a big city. There is some, um, you know, countryside, but I'm a pretty much city boy. That wishes he was a country boy. <laughs> so I love hunting and fishing and all that other stuff, but I grew up, you know, in the city. <laughs> As my uncle, who is a country boy, says, I'm a um, concrete stomper. So, there you go. So, I, I have, as I was preparing for this message, a story and, and experience came to my mind. I remember standing in front of a massive horse, being a city boy. And I, I remember you know, kind of tentatively walking into the, the, you know, the boundary of where the stable is. And 
You know, when you're face-to-face with a horse, it's different. Because you're like, is this a friendly thing or not? Because the horse I was standing next to was a big horse. And I remember him, um, the, the man I was with, coaching me. He's like, hey, Adam, you know, you don't walk around his backside because he might not like that. And so I remember him, you know, putting his hand on the side of his, uh, you know, on the side of the horse and walk behind him to let the horse know, hey, you know, I'm a friend, not a foe. And I remember, you know, after that experience watching on uh, YouTube, God bless YouTube, um, watching a horse kick a guy. Have you ever seen that happen? It's vicious. You didn't know you were going to get this today, did you? I am sorry. And I remember this guy just flying. Like, he was here, now he was there. Like, teleported. And what it really drove into my head is, you don't mess with these animals. These are big animals. They're powerful animals. Just, you know, that that horse kind of wanted me to scratch his head, and he just kind of, like, nuzzled me with his head. And I remember just knocking me back. And... I never forgot this lesson, but you know, this lesson has been around for years, for thousands of years. Generals and kings have known just how big and vicious and horses are and how powerful horses are. Alexander the Great, I was studying a while back, based his whole strategy of how to take over kingdoms through horses. So what he would do is he would get a whole bunch of horses and just plow right through the center of the arm. He would actually go right for the heart. He said, why would I go around the flank when I could just hit the heart of the enemy? And he actually found lots of success in this tactic. He would just hammer right through the ranks. And just think about it. Think about you as a soldier standing there with your spear out in front of you. With all your buddies from the village, you know like, oh yeah, you know these guys are all strong. But then seeing... And hearing the thunder of horses running at you, full tilt. You're standing shoulder to shoulder, men behind you, before you. And you're just waiting for the impact of these these horses. And you could probably feel the concussion of the horses just smashing into line after line. And what they would do is they wouldn't just stop. They would keep going. So they would just smash through rank after rank after rank. And these horses weren't just nice horses. They were actually chosen for their ferocity, for their wildness. And these horses, as they're running, would be kicking and biting and clawing as they go. So they're just causing mayhem. And as the men fell, they would be trampled. This was a very vicious thing. But it was very effective in war. The strength of the Greeks was their training they received and their leadership but their war machine was dependent upon the training of horses. Here's the thing. Wild stallions were actually brought down from the mountains of Greece. They were captured. They were wild. And what they would do is they would bring them back to the army and begin the training of these horses. And only the fiercest, only the fiercest were trained for warfare because that's what they needed. So these horses remained their fierce spirit, their courage, their power. But here's the thing. 
these horses were disciplined to feel the slightest nudge of their master's knee. And after some training, these horses at a word would come, go from a, a full gallop, just charging, and they would slide to a stop with a word from their master. Later, the same tra- process that I'm talking about, these horses were able to run full tilt right into the face of cannons. So no matter what was happening around in the battlefield, they had a sole focus. That's where my master says we're going, and we're going there. An incredible training. Wild horses taken from a complete state of wild abandon to now trained to fight a war. So the Greeks had a word for this training. This training was called praus. Praus uh, was the name they gave that defined the horse, a horse trained for, for battle. So when the horses were able to do this, they said they were said to be praus. Later, Jesus uses the same word, praus, when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of uh, the, the kingdom or inherit the earth. So praus in the Greek is the Greek word for meek. Now, when I said the word meekness when we first read our text, what were you thinking? We normally think somewhere along the lines of someone who's humble, which humble is a very good thing. Maybe someone who stays in the background or is shy. Maybe someone pictured as a maybe a pushover can be walked over. But the 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 word where this word comes from is not what I just now told talked about here. Maybe not what you had on on, on your mind at first. But meekness was is not weakness. Meekness is a completely different thing. And we know now where that word comes from. To, me, to be meeked was to be taken from a state of wild rebellion and to be made completely loyal to and dependent upon your master. So we all have trouble submitting ourselves to God's will. Just to be, just to be real, we have, we have trouble sometimes submitting to God's will because maybe there's cannons in your life. Maybe there's a battle going on. And it's really hard to, to trust your master. You know, but an unbroken steed, an unbroken uh, horse is a liability. It's fickle. It's not reliable. And sometimes when we haven't learned to trust our ma- master, it's, da- it's dangerous. It's dangerous. You know it's dangerous if you get separated from the rest of, the, of, of, the, of your army. It's, it's actually dangerous to be by yourself in a war because you can easily be cold out and killed. But when you have a body of Christ, when you have a body to join yourselves to, there is safety there. And I think this is why it's so important for us, and, and this is in my notes, and he didn't ask me to say that, but it's so important for us to be in church, Amen. to join arms with the body of Christ, because these are your brethren. These are your brothers and sisters. 
that are joining with you to fight a battle that is so deadly and so life and death and so scary sometimes. But where I get strength, where I get hope, where I get direction, a lot of times is in the house of God with God's people. So these stallions became submissive, but certainly not spineless. They embodied power under control, strength with forbearance. And they became sensitive to the slightest nudge of the master. I pray for my sensitivity. I want to feel God when he says, you know, Adam, go here. Go, go do this. And you know that takes training. That do, you don't just get sensitive overnight. That takes training. That takes God moving on you and showing you. So with this training that God's continually putting us through, he's helping us to remain loyal to the master. He's trying to teach us to be sensitive to his touch. He's trying to take our fear that's natural and help us turning that fear into trust. And that's only after a few battles. You know, you can't have courage unless you have fear or maybe some caution. But that's, there is no courage without that fear. So we're turning that fear with training. We learn to trust. And we're in a very real battle. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And when, when he says, when Paul says, for we wrestle, of course we're not talking about, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, spears and things we throw, but he, he's trying to draw a picture of it. It's, it's very much in your face. It's hand-to-hand combat. This is, this is life and death stuff here. But, and, but he's also saying it's not just against flesh and blood. Like, yeah, sometimes we do face people that are idiots and maybe they have a devil in them. Probably shouldn't say that word in front of people, but hey. But at the same time, what he's saying is it's not flesh and blood. You know, sometimes the scars that we have inside of us, and as a counselor, I'm very aware of this. The scars that we have are, are not physical. You can't see my scars on the outside. But what they are instead, they're bruises, they're scrapes, they're tears, they're breaks on the inside. They're not just external, but they're also internal. And this is, these are the fears, I think, that, that God is trying to train us into that trusting part. That God is trying to lead us to, hey, Adam, trust here. I know you have this hurt, this pain, this scar, but trust me. I'm, I'm, I'm leading you. Lead. I, I trust my guidance here. And he's pulling us. Genesis 32 talks about... Chapter 32 is a story of Jacob. And when I saw that verse when I was preparing, uh, brought me back to this uh, passage where it says, it talks about Jacob wrestling the angel. I want to point out some interesting things here. And I'll get into the practical in a minute, but I want to set the foundation. 
And Jacob, it says, was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. Now, this is a pretty familiar passage. I think preachers have preached this a lot. I want to point out some weird stuff about this passage. So, and Jacob was left alone. Okay, so we know Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. Do you see a contradiction here? He was alone, but he was wrestling with a man. So, that, of course, preempts us to maybe go look at some of the ancient uh, literature on this, or what, is, what are the words really saying here? Because we know that the Bible wasn't written in English originally, right? Like, the, the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. And so, there are a lot of things. I remember being in Mexico recently, and I realized that I have a lot of euphemisms that I use, or metaphors that I use in my speaking. It was so frustrating because I'd say something, and it make complete sense to an English audience, but make no sense, like, you know, beating around a bush. What in the world are you doing? <laughs> you know, kill two birds with one stone. Wouldn't that be amazing, you know? <laughs> You'd never be hungry. But we have these all these things that we say that just don't make sense, but, but they do for us. But translated, they don't make sense. So there's actually a lot of these things in the Bible, if you actually look from. There's a lot of idioms and a lot of sayings, if we really look closely... The Bible may be saying something a little bit different than what seems like on, on the surface. Because um, remember it says we have to be to study to show ourselves approved unto God of workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, workmen, seems like there may be a little bit of work involved to break and open the Bible. So, so what is the ancient Hebrew saying here? Well, Jacob was alone, but he wrestled a man. The, actually, the Hebrew actually clarifies, it doesn't say it in the English, but it, it means entirely alone. So he's trying to really make the point. Jacob, there was nobody with Jacob. But man, of course, you're probably jumping ahead. Man could be a spiritual man or a spiritual presence as well. It includes that. Because we know that something or someone was with him when he was entirely alone. And I think that's how we are sometimes in life too. Where we feel entirely alone. That there is no help around us. But remember, feeling is not always real. How you feel about something is not always how the truth really stacks up. So, Jacob was was doing something. He, he was doing something all alone. But there was a spiritual presence there. And here's what's interesting. Wrestling, we you, you use the word wrestling, right? Wrestling with the angel. Wrestling wasn't invented. The sport of wrestling was invented by the Greeks. See another problem. So wrestling was not something in their time. So he was doing something on the ground by himself while a spiritual presence watched. It's getting weirder, I know, right? <laughs> See, I told you it would be weird. So here's another interesting fact, that Jacob was 70 years old in doing this. 
And just to remind you that an angel of God was unable to best this guy. To best this 70-year-old man doing something on the ground with the spiritual presence looking on. You know, I hope my guardian angel is really strong. (laughs) So what was he doing? What was he doing? So the word there, the verb actually means wrestle, means to get dusty. And the translators were like, "What? well, what else was he doing on the ground besides maybe wrestling? So they wrote wrestling in, in our KJV or whatever translation you read. So he's getting dusty on the ground. Now, what does this mean? So if we were trying to put this together, we would render it, he wrestled with himself before a presence that was with him, if we actually translated this out. If this is correct, Jacob was rolling on the ground, getting dusty, himself dusty before a spiritual being who stood watching the whole thing. What could then the rolling on the dust, in the dust, signify? So hopefully this starts to make sense. We, co- we commonly say walking in someone's footsteps. You've heard that, probably that idiom. We walk in someone's footsteps. We're like putting ourselves in that place. So walking in someone's footsteps actually comes from a much more ancient uh, belief that when um, a rabbi is walking in the dust, part of his wisdom and knowledge is actually going through his feet into the dust. This is ancient thought or an ancient idiom. So actually, if you look at the disciples, when Jesus said, come and follow me, the disciples didn't just say, hmm, let's go like learn his ways. That's kind of what we think. You know, we're, you know if I'm going to go learn karate, I'm going to go to the dojo and learn how to fight. But that's not exactly what disciples did. They not only were, were supposed to learn um, the, the teachings of the master, but they were also to walk in his footsteps. And what they would do is they'd walk so closely that they would try to get the dust from their rabbi's feet on them so they could capture it. So in other words, they followed the master so closely that they started to capture the way he did stuff, how he did stuff, the mannerisms of the, how he interacted with life, uh, with, with the master. So what the disciples were doing is they were trying to apply everything that they got from the master. Every word he said, they would hang on it. They would, they would wash their hands like the master. They would walk like the master. And this is actually, and I'm not just making stuff up here. I can give you my sources. But you could actually look um, at ancient literature. And, and there was one rabbi who was hunched. And he would walk around hunched. And his disciples of course, took on that posture. They would hunch themselves and try to take on the look of of the master that they were following. So this is called walking in the dust of the master. This is the process. And this is exactly what the disciples would have done with Jesus. While walking, hoping to pick up the traces of wisdom that Jesus was dropping So remember the context. Remember the context of what Jacob was doing in this place. He was obeying the voice of God. Obeying the voice of God. God said, Jacob, you go back to your homeland. Because you need to make things right. 
you stole a birthright. You did some things wrong. And Jacob, I blessed you. I've trained you. I've worked with you. I've moved in you. I've, I've given you all this stuff. And now I want you to make things right with your brother Esau. And so now Jacob was on the path home, back to his homeland. And he was worried. Because if you don't remember, Esau was a man of war. He was a strong man. He wasn't a weak man. He would have, you know, people kind of attract the same sort of people around them. That's why you need to watch who, you, who, who do you hang out with. Because you're going to be a lot like them. So he would have attracted strong men around him. And Jacob knew, I'm about to go face my brother that has probably an army. Because that's how it worked back then, clans who are strong and well-trained. And I'm going back to this, a different man, a blessed man. But I'm also going to be at risk of being at someone else's mercy and not just God. And so now he's, he's sitting and he meets an entity. He meets God. He meets an angel. A lot of commentators think it's God. And he's like, are you sure? Have you ever been there? God, are you sure? I'm just not sure I feel this. I'm not sure if I dig this. You know, like, you know, God, I, you've called me to something big. I, I've, I've followed you. I've done a lot of things. But, oh, I heard your voice, but are you with me? I'm afraid, God. This is a lot different. This is, this is out of character for me, God. You know, you give me a lot of stuff, and I'm at risk of losing some of it, God. God, I need your wisdom. And, and, and in, the ancient, in the ancient commentaries, what Jacob was doing is he was wrestling, but he wasn't just wrestling with an angel, but you have to realize he was wrestling with himself. He was on the ground in front of this, of this, this spiritual being, and saying, I need to get this wisdom. God, change me. Change your mind. Do something because I, I can't just lay here and take this. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your strength here. Because I can't do this on my, on my own. Doesn't this sound a lot like how we would face a struggle or a trial? I know we're not swinging from the chandeliers. And I'm so happy you have those. Well, hopefully you're going in your mind, how are you reacting to your trials? Because everybody has them. Everybody has those fears, especially last year, right? And the year before, I'm not sure if I want to go to church and get sick from my precious people of God. <laughs> but, you know, and thank God we've navigated through that. But God is with us through it all. And we have to seek his wisdom and his face with it. But you could just see, we might roll back and forth in our bed. Asking God to please enlighten us. Please show us. Please do something in us, God. Please change your mind, God. <laughs> Half of the battle is making a decision. And sometimes it's determining God's will. And I think that's what Jacob was doing here. Rolling in the dust. Hoping to absorb God's wisdom and know His perfect will.
you know, <laughs> it's most likely, though, that Jacob knew God's will, and he was wrestling with himself with the decision to submit to God's will. And I think that's a lot of times where we find ourselves. So are we like Jacob? You're not totally alone. You have a spiritual presence before you and in you and around you. And right now we're trying to soak up the wisdom that God is dropping. But who is winning your mental wrestling match here? And I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of flow a little bit into teaching, and we'll 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 get into the preachy. I could do that kind of. But who's winning your match? And I've I've worked with so many people, and people are not clear on how we how do we wrestle. What does the wrestling really look like? John White, Christian counselor made an illustration. He said, do you know if you lean your head into a, a piano and start singing a, a, a perfect note, that one string, one particular string will vibrate in response to your voice, the corresponding note that you're singing. And he says, the devil can't make a good person bad, but he makes a flawed person worse. He plays on what's already there. And so what we can't do is let the devil have a foothold or let doubt create a foothold in our lives. We have to be very careful what notes are resounding to external sources. The devil only has two things, two weapons, simplified. Two weapons to affect you. Temptation. Temptation is a too high view of yourself that allows you to do something you shouldn't. And then accusation, a too low view of yourself so that you go and do things you shouldn't. Temptation hides the holiness for a minute and magnifies love. Accusation hides the love and magnifies holiness and the hatred of love. So do you recognize anything in, in you that would resound with that. So many people have done stuff in their past and they have a too low view of their selves that allow them to be tempted easily. Sometimes accusation is your temptation because we live below what God has called us to because every single one of you are kings and priests. But how often do we walk in our authority? How often do we walk in, in our our godly, God-ordained birthright, that we are the image bearers, the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God. Because you are kings and priests. And so, our temptation is to have that low view of ourselves, Or maybe go and pursue the worldly desires and tell ourselves we're never worthy of what God has for us. That really what I'm drawing this down to is this wrestling, this wrestling match is, is between your ears. There's the temptation and accusation which stifles and stunts your growth and halts your victory. I'm going to teach you something that I have found, 
I, I want every child of God to know. And I think it's, it's some of you people that have walked with God for a long time, you'll understand this. Because if you've walked, walked with God for a long time, you have to know this. But it's called, and I'll kind of get scientific for a second, it's called the cognitive behavioral therapy. But it's the behavioral tri triangle. So we know that thoughts influence your emotions, which influence your behaviors. When I have thoughts, say thoughts that I'm tempted to think, think about myself. If I think that maybe I'm not good enough, I'm going to feel lousy. I'm not going to feel like maybe I'm, I am that king and priest. Well, how am I going to behave? Am I going to Am I, am I going to show that light in the world around me? I'm going to be stunted there. It's going to be difficult. So the first thing we have to, have to really pay attention to is what is going on? Remember, the, the Bible says to take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. But you have to realize what you're thinking. You are thinking. <laughs> But I have talked to enough people to know that not all of us realize the direction of our thoughts. And something to do is whenever your emotions change, what are you thinking? I heard, I heard someone recently say, well, just turn down your emotions. You can't. Sorry. The way that you change your emotions is that you pay attention to what you're thinking. I've worked so much with people with anxiety. Remember, anxiety is the overestimation of the difficulty of the problem and an underestimation of your ability to handle it. And a lot of us have anxiety. Depression is the feeling the situation is hopeless. It happens when a tornado of thoughts whirlwind inside of you without any check. I've seen that happen a lot of times, and I've helped a lot of people out of that. And you know, it's not just... Positive thinking, that's great. We all need to be positive. But that's not exactly what I'm propagating here. What I want to give to you here is the way of, of changing. Notice you're having thoughts. Challenge the truth of those thoughts. Are you, are you really impotent to change what's around you? Do you really have no hope? Jacob, are you completely alone? Or is there a presence with you? We're not alone. So, challenging the truths of these thoughts. The last step is to replace the, the old thoughts with new thoughts that are more true. Now, I know this is not like jumping up and down. But this will change your life. This will absolutely change your life. And I've seen it happen thousands of times what do you mean when you say change your thoughts what happened to Jacob I wonder he encountered the, the angel and he was a changed man sometimes in our wrestling we find our greatest strength and you know what's interesting is that he was in a, in a way changed physically maybe you shouldn't be a 70 year old man flipping around on the floor that might hurt but he was a changed man. And you know what's amazing is that he did some great things afterward. He made amends. He went on and, and to become 
uh, in the lineage of the great men of the Bible. Even in his old age, he, he did this. How, how did he change his thoughts? He, he knew at that point, I'm changed. And he took that with him and faced his fear. So what do we do? We notice we're having thoughts. We challenge the truth of those thoughts. And then we replace our thoughts. So here's how you do it. The Bible says to sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Well, we're all in the process of sanctification. Welcome to the journey. <laughs> and we're, we're in this process. And we're supposed to sanctify with what? How do we do it? Through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so we replace the old thoughts, the lies that we tell ourselves, the fears that we tell ourselves. We, we absolutely confront them and say, no. Just like that. No. And we replace it with truth. Now, how, what does that look like? Well, I'm not enough. What's a verse that comes to your mind when you think I'm not enough? I've talked to enough people that a lot of people think that or feel that. feel like it's true because they have enough abuse or problems in their life where they really think that they're not enough or they're not good enough. They're not deserving of love or just fill in the blank. What is your statement? What do you tell yourself about yourself that is not true, that God says differently about you? Some people think I'm not valuable. I'm not fill in the blank. You say, nope, but I'm, in, I'm complete in him. Colossians 2.10. When you say, I'm not valuable, you replace that thought with, I was chosen before the foundation of the earth. How could you not be valuable when you have the Imago Dei in you, God's image, and that he chose you before the foundation of the earth? That is amazing. And what we do is we put these thoughts on like a blanket. We put these things on. And how would you walk if you were a chosen one that before the foundation of the earth? That you knew that God was directing your footsteps. That you were a king and a priest. What would you, how would you walk? How would your life, how would the outlook of your life look if you actually believed that? You definitely wouldn't walk like this. You know, you would, you would, you would put on that, I'm, I am authority. I am a man, a woman of God. How would that affect our interactions? How would affect, that affect the people that are in our life? How would that affect our business? You see, this affects every single part of us because we are body, soul, spirit. All of this stuff is in, in so connected and it's a very spiritual thing. It's a very emotional thing, but it's also very a physical thing. And so when these things come to you, when these things come to you, these lies come to you, you ask yourself, you, when you read your Bible, ah, this will de directly address this. This is what's going on in my mind all the time. This verse encourages me. When this situation is just too big to handle, just trust in Him. He'll bear you up. Every single fear that you have in your life, and I'm coming to a close here, every single fear in your life is addressed 
in that sanctification process. It's by applying the truth. This is how you do it. I hope this is, I hope this is opening your mind. God is really, I mean, God brought me here with this message. I could have preached a lot of other things. But God brought me here to do this, to give you this. That God is looking on you and caring for you and calling you to something greater. And it doesn't matter where we are in life. It doesn't matter where we are. Like, Jacob, this is when he was 70 years old. I have a while to go into 70. Some of us are maybe over 70. Some of us are at 70. But God isn't just done with us because we're, we reach a certain place. God is continually calling every single one of us to something, some new challenge. How is he perfecting you? What is he calling you to? What are you sitting in your chair wrestling with? Where is God saying, you know, I'm not done with you. Do you feel my nudge in the spirit? Do you feel what I'm calling you to do? You're not done. Your, your efficacy is not over. Just because you failed, maybe failed here or did something wrong here, maybe because you have this hurt or this trauma, you may be telling yourself, I'm, oh, I, I'm not able to do that. I can't, I can't ever be that. You crossed your, your name out of, the, out of the line and said, nope, I don't qualify for that. Who, who, is this the voice of truth in your life? Is this truth or is this a lie? I happen to know that we're very good at lying to ourselves. We don't even need the devil. We really don't. I mean, he, he probably gets things spinning. But oftentimes it's us talking ourselves out of stuff that God wants to do in our life. You know... Not in my notes, but so applicable. Every single Jewish person, when they wore the tzitzit, the, uh, you know, the fringes in their daily life, you know that on their fringes they had one string of purple. It was to remind them that every single one were royalty. Every single one were priests. No one was exempt. And in, until, you, until you died... You wear that royalty on you. And you're never exempt. You're nev- we're, we're always to build the kingdom, to work on ourselves, to sanctify ourselves in Christ. So I pray today that maybe you've identified some things in your life where God is calling you. I challenge you to look inside and say, God, where have I been wrestling with? Where have I been tempted to feel uh, that I was entirely alone? Where have I been stressed out, God? Where am I been leaning on the flesh, thinking that I'm not enough? And I would challenge you with this to say, God is asking you to, to, to sanctify yourself to put that word of God. Remember, this is a daily thing. This is why we have to be daily in the scriptures, daily in the word of God, applying this to our life. So if the musicians would come, what I would invite us all to do
whether you want to come down to the altar or raise your hands where you are. But God, I firmly brought, I, I firmly know that God is talking to someone here that's been tempted to believe that they aren't enough. Tempted to believe that maybe uh, things aren't working out well and maybe your, your years of, of, of uh, power or strength are over and just to throw it in or maybe some stuff has happened in your life where you're tempted to think and you just cross yourself out and say, no, that's not for me. But you know, we have a God that's our master and us like wild horses or, or wild things you know, there's those wild parts that are tempted not to trust. That really when we have these, uh, when we're in these battles, we hear the explosions around us and we're tempted. I don't know if I want to go that way. I don't, I don't know if I want to run that way. I don't know if I want to run that hard. We're tempted to, to, to put the brakes on even though the master is spurring us forward and saying, come on, I'm with you. You know, I, I am the one who created the earth. And I'm with you and I'm in you. And you don't have to fear. Whatever I'm going to call you to, I'm going to enable you to do. I'm going to give you the power enough to do. And when you can't do it, remember, my weakness is made perfect by his strength. When it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what I know or how much I know. He's going to want to make, he's going to want you to, to work on yourself. But in the end, God is going to speak through you. God is going to work in you. And he's pushing all of us to do something. So I'm going to challenge us today to maybe to do a little bit of that wrestling like Jacob did. Maybe to bring us to a place where we start rolling around and wrestling again with that desire or that dream that God is calling you to. And we're rolling around saying, God, I need that wisdom. God, I need that spirit inside of me. God, regurgitate that dream in me right now. Because I, 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 I've been stressed, God. I've been worried about it. I have this anxiety in me that keeps raising up. But God, I need you to work in me. Speak through me, God. Work in me. So if we all can stand. Right now, let's lift our hands. I feel God moving in this place right now. The master is here in this place right now. I can feel him working. Don't ignore that nudge. Don't ignore God pulling you. Reminding you of dreams. Reminding you of what he's called you to. Reminding you that you are a king. That you are a priest. Reminding you that you have something to offer. Reminding you of the power that's in you. The Holy Ghost that's in you. God, don't let us forget who you are inside of us. We have the king of the universe inside us. Come on, saints, let's pray. Come on, let's push in the Holy Ghost. God is going to do something special here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, as we lift our hands, move in us today. As we lift our spirits to you, move in us. God, re-energize us. 
Strengthen us, God, for your strength. And strengthen us, God. Oh, let us not lean on the arm of the flesh, but let us rely on your spirit, God. This altar is open if God is calling to that. But whatever we're doing, God, wherever we are, let's lift our hands right now. God is moving in this place. Oh, Jesus. Oh, come on, saints. Hallelujah. God is calling you. God is moving inside of you. He's not done with you. He's your strength. He's your power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's our healer. He's our strength. He's our strong tower. He's our refuge in the storm. Hallelujah. God, when the doubts come, when the doubts come, God, I pray that you'd bring scripture, that you'd bring your word to our minds. Help us to sanctify, to purify, to make us whole, God, every single day. Hallelujah. Help us to live in victory, God. God, do it today, Jesus. Do it today, Jesus.